Welcome to the Movement Church Podcast. Our vision is to be a movement of people finding their way back to God. We want to be a place where you can own your faith and take next steps in your relationship with Jesus. Maybe your next step is to seek out community and join a movement group. Maybe it's supporting movement financially for the first time or using your gifts on a volunteer team. Whatever God is calling you to do, our prayer is that you will step out in faith and let Him lead you. For more information about your next step, please visit movementcolumbus.com. All right, how are we doing this morning? Doing well? Yes. Uh, did anyone else get nervous when there were two married people talking about the best place to be is on the couch together? I was like, I was sitting over here with my middle school sons, and I was like, all right, we're going to have to have a talk after church, but I... Well, I'll mention it later, guys. It's, it's not a big deal. We've, we've talked about a little bit of it. Okay, anyway, so, um, yeah. But then it went into competitive cheerleading, and I was like, all right, we've got to have a whole other talk. So um, it was cool either way. So anyway, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's week five of Let's Talk About It. Uh, this is our series where we, we've said that we uh, wanted to embrace the conversation uh, of mental health. We've been talking through some things that, uh, honestly, sometimes people don't want to talk about, about suffering, about loss, about depression, about anxiety, about doubting God, about grief, about trauma, conflict, pain, and all kinds of things that, that sometimes we just overlook and, and act like they're okay. Uh, mental health is uh, defined as a, a variety of disorders that it, it can impact our, our thoughts, our emotions, our behaviors, and uh, bring about suffering in our lives and bring about suffering for other people. And so we believe, uh, because the Bible tells us this, because of the presence of sin, because of uh, the fall of the world, because of sin in our lives, that at any given moment, um, every, every hour, every minute, every season... Because we're separated from God, we're, we're, we're working against um, some of the things that, that Satan wants to accomplish on this earth and some of the lies that he, he feeds us. And so our goal in this series uh, is to, to just talk about things that don't get talked about, but also uh, to give us an approach, to give us medicine, and to give us uh, techniques to say, all right, how did we get to this point? How did this come to be in our life? And how can we deal with it? How can we, how can we work through it? And so uh, I, I think I've said this every week, uh, but I, I want to make sure that, it, that it's heard. Uh, we know that this is a tough topic. We know that this is not an easy topic that can be handled in in a 30-minute message. Uh, our goal, is, as was mentioned, is that people are going to movement groups, they're going to our, our small groups, our Bible studies, and processing these things through the week, that you're having further conversations with your friends, with your spouse, uh, working through tough things. And if you would find yourself in a place where you'd say, you know what, I've been putting this off. I want to I wanna look into uh, finding a, a counselor or a therapist. We have a, a list of, of therapists that our church recommends that we work with. And so we would love to recommend that to you. If you want to email our office, uh, email address is on the website. Uh, we would love to connect you with someone that can hopefully bring about some healing and continue uh, this conversation. We've, we've seen great response to this conversation. We've seen more people uh, sharing things on Facebook and sharing YouTube links and, and telling their friends and inviting their friends. And we think it's because this topic is, is not talked about. And so today, uh, in some ways, we're going to continue uh, scratching that itch and, and getting at something that I think is tough. We want to talk about fear and anxiety today. So that should be an easy thing that doesn't impact most of us and something that we can do in a couple minutes, right? No, probably, probably not, but we're going to do our best to talk through uh, anxiety today. And so to do that, I want to ask you to, uh, turn your Bible, if you've got one, to Matthew chapter 26. If you don't have a Bible, there's probably one under your seat there, around your seat somewhere on the floor. Uh, that is our, our gift to you. If you don't have a Bible, you can take that one home. But we're going to be on page 757, uh, Matthew 26, verses 36 uh, to 46. Matthew 26, 
verses 36 to 46. If you don't know, uh, the Bible is broken into two, two parts, the Old Testament, the New Testament. Uh, the New Testament, the, the smaller part at the end, like the last third, tells the story of the life of Jesus. It talks about Jesus' life, his ministry, uh, his death, burial, and resurrection, and it talks about why he was sent to this world uh, for a purpose. Uh, the thing that's interesting about Jesus, he was, he was fully God and fully man. He was the son of God and, and yet uh, fully man as he was sent to this earth. And, and so the, the passage we're going to look at today uh, kind of sits in and rests in that, that tough tension. Because as I say, he was fully God and fully man. You're like, well, you can't be fully two things. And, and yet this is going to uh, describe how he was 100% God and 100% man. And uh, so in the final chapters of the, the book of Matthew, uh, Jesus begins to, to wind down his earthly ministry and he starts to speak in the future. He starts to say things like, hey, I came to give my life. I'm going to uh, give my life. I'm going to be crucified on a cross. And the disciples who are, are part of this story, his inner circle, the guys that traveled with him are hearing this and looking at this and, and they're, they're in the plot, but they just don't really get it. And so even though he's been working toward this for 30 plus years and he's been saying, hey, I came for a purpose. This is my purpose. These guys are not really getting this purpose. And so he begins to kind of uh, turn up the, the heat, I guess you could say, and work toward this, this incredible, awful, beautiful, world-changing, life-changing, time-changing event of giving his life. And so Jesus and the disciples uh, enjoy what we call the Last Supper. It's where we see a picture of communion, where he broke bread with them and, and outlined what he was going to do. And after that, he and his disciples uh, go to this Garden of Gethsemane to pray. So there's a little, a little backdrop for you, but let me read this. Matthew chapter 26, verses 36 to 46. You can follow along there. It says this. Then Jesus went with them to the olive grove called Gethsemane. And he said, sit here while I go over there to pray. He took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Well, I've already shared that one definition of mental health is some various disorders in which uh, the, the weight of life and, and different things can impact your thoughts, your emotions, your behaviors, and, and honestly just make life abnormal to the point that it causes suffering for you and others. And I think that these verses are an interesting excerpt from the life of Jesus. Because if we were to say, did Jesus have, uh, did he struggle with, with mental health? I think some of us would be scared to say yes, because we're like, well, well, he's fully God, so I'm not allowed to say that. And yet, if we say someone is fully God, fully man, we'd be like, well, he didn't not struggle with that, but we probably wouldn't know how to, how to really describe that or say an answer because we're like, I don't want to project some of these things on Jesus. But you look at this quote. I mean, his quote, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. He's hanging out with his friends. He knows that he's about to give his life. He knows that he's about to die on the cross. And these are the words that he's saying. The effects and the weight of sin and living in this fallen world and being ready to sacrifice your life for fallen sinful people like you and I are beginning to impact him. And so mental health is not this new invention. Grief, anguish, distress are not a new invention. These are things that have impacted our world, that have been a part of our world, that have been a part of our sinful world and the weight of sin for thousands of years and since the beginning of time. And it's interesting because I, I think that if, like I said, if we believe that the impact of sin is, is putting a weight on us, then we can see what it's doing to people. We can see people suffer. We ourselves can feel suffering. 
And we're sometimes suffocated and crushed by the weight of sin. And I think what we're seeing here with Jesus is that this was not the weight of his sin. We know that. We know that he came and lived a sinless life and was the perfect sacrifice when he gave his life on the cross for us. But knowing what he was about to do, knowing what was ahead of him, knowing what was in his path was beginning to weigh on his mind. He knew that our sins separated us from God, and he knew that he was going to give his life to pay that price. He knew that in that moment, he was going to take on the the agony of every person. He knew that in that moment, God was going to turn his face from him because he was going to pay the price for our sin and take on our sin once and for all. And so looking forward to that, Jesus was looking at that. He was looking at that moment, and he was saying, my soul is crushed. My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. That's probably not a sentence that you would say or probably not a sentence that you would volunteer to your friends. Probably not something when someone this morning said, hey, how you doing? You didn't say, my soul is crushed to the point of death. You probably said, like, excited for the Bengals game today, right? And just, like, faked it and thought you were supposed to say some response like that. And yet there are moments where looking ahead at what life has for us, what we know is ahead in our path, are going to put a weight on us that we can't handle. And so Jesus says, I'm going to go pray. He doesn't say, things are great. I mean, I'm sure he knew truth and knew a positive outlook, but he wasn't being fake. He knew that he was coping with the weight and the emotion of what was before him, and he was living the mission that God had called him to, the one that he wanted to do, but he was anguished. He was distressed. He felt the weight of sin. He knew he was approaching this terrible physical pain and the separation from the Father and bearing the sins of the world, and that's a big deal. And maybe you're in a season today where you would say, all right, that's not my calling, but I feel anguish and I feel grief and I feel distress because of this broken relationship or because I've been battling depression, or because I look at what's ahead and I know that I've got a lot of school ahead of me and then I've got a lot of debt ahead of me after I finish that school and just the whole thing gives me anxiety and puts a weight on my shoulders that I I don't want to talk about. Maybe you're someone that looks at the future and says, I don't know how I can raise these kids alone. I don't know how I can do this. I don't know how I'm going to make it and I feel the weight of that. I love the way that Hebrews 5 verses 7 and 9 says this. While Jesus was here on earth, he offered prayers and pleadings with a loud cry and tears to the one who could rescue him from death. And God heard his prayers because of his deep reverence for God. Even though Jesus was God's son, he learned obedience from the things he suffered. In this way, God qualified him as a perfect high priest and he became the source of eternal salvation for all those who obey him. Jesus felt grief, Jesus felt anguish, Jesus felt anxiety, and this is just one moment we're given a snapshot into that, and I think as we say that, we think like, well, that, are we allowed to say that about the Son of God, about someone who is one with God the Father? Yes, if, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. Anxiety and obedience can coexist. Anxiety and obedience can coexist. There are going to be moments that you look at life and you feel grief and you feel anxiety and you look ahead and you think, that makes me nervous. I don't know what I think about that. And those two things can coexist. The place that we can get in trouble when our anxiety and our worry takes us to a place of disobedience. 
That's a, that's a problem, but that's a whole other conversation. But yes, there are going to be moments that you're going to feel anxiety about the future. You're going to feel grief. You're going to feel crushed by this weight of what's ahead and what you can handle and what you're aware of and what you can do. And the problem is all of those sentences had the word you in there. You, you, you. And I think all too often we make life about us. We think that life is about us. Our eyes are on us. Our attention is on us. Our focus is on us. And yet we look at the life of Jesus, the example of Jesus. His eyes were on his father. His obedience, his attention was focused on his father. Anxiety and obedience can coexist, but we have to make sure that we live in that tension in a healthy way. Verse 39 says this. He went on a little farther and bowed with his face to the ground, praying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Jesus knows what's ahead. And what is ahead is this, this incredible weight, probably definitely the most incredible weight that's ever existed for any human on earth. He knew what he was called to do and it gave him anxiety. It gave him worry, but it did not take him off course and it did not take him to a place of disobedience. His eyes were on his mission and he was willing to walk through this challenge. In the Old Testament, God said that he was going to write the story of his people, the Israelites. And as God was doing that, it was all going to start with this man named Abraham. And so this guy named Abraham set out one day and said that he was going to start this journey and God was going to build his family into this great people. And this guy named Abraham had a wife named Sarah. They were supposed to have a son and they couldn't have a son, but then they did have a son. And God asked them once they had this son and this son and their people were going to become this great nation. God said, hey, I'm going to need that son. I'm going to need you to sacrifice that son for me. Remember that son you've been praying for and waiting on? Going to need that. Going to need that son. So can you, can you sacrifice your son? Abraham set out one day to sacrifice his son to God. And yet he trusted God. And instead, right before he was going to sacrifice his son on an altar, God provided an animal and God provided a way that he didn't have to sacrifice his son. And so there's this history in the, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, carrying into the New Testament, of God asking a son to die as a sacrifice and then providing a, another way at the last minute. Maybe, maybe as Jesus prayed this, maybe he thought, you know, I don't know what God's got in store. I don't know what God has planned. Maybe there's going to be some other way. Maybe there's a last-minute substitute, a last-minute switch. And so he prayed, God, if there's another way, let there be another way. But he didn't say, hey, God, we're going to find another way. Or I don't need to do this. Or audible, I'm going to change your plan. He was walking toward God's plan. He was obedient to God's plan. He was, he was submissive to God's plan. And he knew that God was going to do what God needed to do. And yes, there was grief. Yes, his soul felt crushed. Yes, there was anxiety. But it didn't drive him to a place of disobedience. So you might be thinking like, all right, so how, how do we live in that tension? Well, here's another thing you can write down. We keep our anxiety from becoming unhealthy fear and doubt by taking it to God. At no point in this interaction, at no point in this, this moment, in this excerpt we're given where Jesus was going to give his life, where he's feeling this grief, he's feeling this anxiety, he's feeling the weight of the world. At no moment does he ever say like, all right, I guess I'm going to do this on my own. He is constantly looking to God. He's talking to God. He's, he's praying to God. And I hope you've seen the last couple weeks how these different passages we've looked at can, can weave together. A couple weeks ago, we said 
that the question is not if you will doubt God or doubt God's plan in moments of your life. You will absolutely have those moments. None of us want to admit that right now. Hey, who doubted God this week? You'd be like, no, not me, but probably that sinner across the aisle from me. He's a, he's a bad person, right? But, but there are moments we doubt God. There are moments we say like, God, what, what are you doing? And we said that when you face pain and trauma last week, we said this, that you have to acknowledge your hurt, you have to embrace the help, remember your hope, and worship God. We're looking at the life of Jesus. We're looking at, at someone who's fully God, but also fully man. And he's running the play, running this pattern that we see laid out time and time again in scripture. He's not, he's not faking that he's hurt or that he feels grief. He's saying, this is awful. I'm not doing well. There's a, there's a lot of weight. And he, he's not saying I'm going to be disobedient or I'm going to change what God wants to do. But man, I'm going to need some help. His eyes are on his heavenly father. He's looking to his hope and worshiping God. Verse 40 says this, then he returned to the disciples and found them asleep. He said to Peter, couldn't you watch with me even one hour? Keep watch and pray so that you will not be given, so you not give into temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. It doesn't, it doesn't miss me that Jesus is with his inner circle. He's with his, his homies. He's got the 12, but then he's also got the three. These are like his people and his people's people. And he's facing the greatest thing he's ever gone through. And he's like, all right, well, you know what we're going to do? We're going to go pray. And I'm going to have my friends come with me and they're going to pray. And guess what his friends do? They let him down. And this is not to pick on the disciples or to pick on his friends or to, to say anything other than the fact that they're humans. And it's not if you're going to doubt God, but when you're going to doubt God. And it's not if your friends are going to let you down, but when and how they're going to let you down. People are going to let you down. And sometimes we think like, oh, God's given up on me. He won't surround me with anyone. I think one of the reasons that people let us down is because ultimately we can't look to people to be our everything. We can't look to our, our strong friends to be our everything. That passage of scripture that Jeremy just read did not say, my friends are my rock. My friends are my everything said, God, you are my everything. So as Jesus is being let down by his friends in the middle of this terrible wait and this terrible moment, he's looking to his father. He's remembering his hope and he's worshiping God. And he's taking this anxiety and this fear to God, straight to God, because he does not want it to evidence itself in any form of disobedience. Verse 42 says this, then Jesus left them a second time and prayed, my father, if this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it, your will be done. When he returned to them again, he found them sleeping for they couldn't keep their eyes open. I know what you're thinking, Mark. I think you just read the same verses twice. No, they let him down again. They're supposed to be praying. They're supposed to be in this with him. They're supposed to be a, a part of this challenge. And he's like, hey, guys, I just need you to do just one thing. I'm going through a lot right now. I'm going to give my life for humanity. Maybe you've noticed when I've told you that for the last couple chapters of this story of my life. Can you just pray with me right now? I'm feeling a lot of grief. And they're like, yeah, I'm going to fall asleep, actually. I'm going to need a nap, Jesus. Verse 44 says this. So he went to pray a third time, saying the same things again. Then he came to the disciples and said, go ahead and sleep, have your rest. But look, the time has come. The son of man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Up, let's be going. Look, my betrayer is here. And I think we know the rest of that story. One of his disciples, Judas, came 
with some soldiers and they began to take him into that process of, of going to trial and eventually giving his life and being crucified on the cross so that you and I could have life, so that you and I could know life. And Jesus, through these moments, felt the weight of what was going to happen. He felt the weight of taking our sin and taking our punishment and taking our shame and having his heavenly father look away. And he felt the weight of those moments. But at no point did he break contact with his heavenly father. At no point did he look away or give up on that relationship. He, he may have been tempted as we are tempted in sin, but he did not look away from his father. He asked God to take these things away or to change these things. And even though nothing changed, he said, I'm going to keep walking. I'm going to keep being obedient. I'm going to keep my eyes on you and I'm going to keep living this mission. And I think sometimes we think like, well, yeah, he was Jesus. I mean, he was the son of God. He was better than me and better than us. And that was easier for him. It came natural for him. And yet the book of Hebrews tells us that he feels the temptation that we feel. And he knows the pain that we feel. He was fully God and fully man. And yet he set the pattern for us. Many scholars believe that it wasn't imagery. It wasn't just some metaphor, but literally in this moment, if you read another account in the book of Luke, it says that he was sweating drops of blood. Not like, oh, he was sweating, and man, this guy was really stressed out. Literal drops of blood were coming out of his pores because of the weight of what was ahead of him. And so trust me when I say this, Jesus understands anxiety, and Jesus understands grief, and Jesus understands when we don't know what's ahead and we feel the weight of those moments. Being nervous and being overwhelmed and having anxiety is not a sin. It just means that you and I are not perfect and you and I are not enough. The place that we fall into sin is when we try to be enough or we try to make something else enough or we look to other things and we try to make that our God. In these moments of feeling pain and grief and anxiety and doubting God, Jesus looked to his heavenly father and he never broke relationship. Our strength to obey come from our relationship with God the Father. You're not going to feel that you're drawn into obedience because of some self-help book that you read. And you're not going to feel that you're drawn into obedience because of a meditation app that you have. What's going to draw you into obedience, what's going to keep your eyes on your Heavenly Father is your intimacy and your relationship with your Heavenly Father. And so when you're feeling grief, when you're feeling weight, when you're feeling anxiety, you need to look to your Heavenly Father. You need to focus on Him. You need to talk to Him. You need to lean into that relationship. Your strength won't come from you. Your strength won't come from your friends. You might have slightly better friends than Jesus' friends. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe they won't let you down three times in like six verses. That was pretty all-time bad. But your friends are going to let you down. Maybe they'll really let you down. Maybe just based on your expectations or your perspective, you're going to feel like your friends let you down. Strength is only going to come from your friends if your friends are saying, hey, we need to look to God. We need to keep our eyes on God. We need to figure out what he's doing here and stay vigilant. We need to be obedient. Our strength to obey will come from our relationship with God, our Father. But I think we can look 
at these final moments before the crucifixion of Jesus and realize that anxiety is not a death sentence. Anxiety is not the end of life. Anxiety is not when, when things just cease to be good and we just have to give up. We can trust this, that in the face of the worst suffering ever, in the face of the worst weight, the best person of all time still felt agony and, and grief. But in that, God did the best thing ever. The worst thing that ever happened happened to the best person that ever existed. And he felt the weight of that. And yet he looked at his heavenly father and said, I'm going to be obedient. I'm going to walk with you. There are going to be moments you look at God and you, you feel fear because you don't know what's ahead. You're going to fear life. You're going to fear the, the newfound knowledge that you have, and it's going to take your eyes off of God. And I've heard it said that fear is a down payment on a problem that you don't actually have. Fear is a down payment on a problem you don't have because often our fears think like, well, God's going to forget about me and this is going to happen or God's not in control and this is going to happen or God doesn't know what he's doing or I don't know what God's doing. And so inevitably, my life is falling apart. And I promise you this, there is not a moment that your life is falling apart. And there is not a moment that God doesn't know what he's doing in your life. And there is not a moment where God is not in control. But what there is, is a moment where you're not in control. And that's where we let fear take hold of us. That's where we lose our ability to keep our eyes on our father. That's where we stop being obedient because we love control and we love answers and we love knowing the end result and we love seeing the play and we love knowing how things are going to develop. And so when we lose control, Sometimes we lose our minds. We just give up. There's this concept in scripture where Jesus talks about the fact that our faith can move mountains. The faith that we should have in God and in God's character that we see all throughout scripture, we should be able to do incredible things with that. Sometimes the, the mountain that needs moved is, is not that you need a new job or you need a new career. There's this incredible health crisis. Sometimes the mountain that needs moved is just our ability to trust. Sometimes God has to say, all right, let's get your desire for control out of the way. Let's get your ego out of the way. Let's get what you want to happen out of the way and keep your eyes on me. Look to me, depend on me, we're going to do this together. I want to, I want to invite my, my friend Don up. I think many of you know Don. He often uh, hosts on Sunday mornings and, and uh, is, is one of our elders. As we talk about this, this topic of anxiety and we talk about uh, fear, I know that uh, he went through a pretty, pretty tough season uh, just a, a couple of years ago. So Don, maybe uh, tell, us, tell us your uh, your, your, uh, your family. Tell us who you are, how long you've been at Movement. Give us some, some background on, on you other than the funny guy that hosts. That's all you guys need to know. Uh, hey, yep, my name's Don. Good morning. I've been coming to Movement for nine years, me and my family now. And to give you a little bit of background about me, if you don't know um, some of my background, I would say uh, if you hear this, it sounds like it could be a Hallmark movie or we talk about, my wife and I talk about our, our relationship being like the notebook. But I grew up in a very poor situation, uh, definition of trailer park. I had a rat tail and it was sick and uh, it was awesome. But we were, uh, yeah, grew up very poor. 
Um, but early on, I felt uh, the presence of the Lord. I, I loved the idea of being around a Heavenly Father. So I'd go to church by myself. I'd ride my bike to church. In second grade, I made a poster. I'd sit on the playground and tell kids to repent. The kingdom of God is near. I did not have a beard at that time. How sick would that have been, though? Um, but yeah, I just felt really close to the Lord. Uh, and then my life felt like it just continued to be blessed. I excelled in a lot of things. I um, graduated from Marysville High School at top of the class, uh, voted best personality, got a full ride to college, could have worked anywhere um, in Cincinnati at these corporate uh, places that we were being groomed for, decided to work uh, in ministry for five years, married my childhood sweetheart. Uh, we were best friends in first grade, uh, ended up getting married. Uh, I started a business 10 years ago, raised five children, sold that business uh, last year, just walked out of that this past year. Um, and just, yeah, if you read that from the outside, it sounds like life. Life is awesome. God yeah. is good. Even as I hear you say it, I'm like, man, my life is right? terrible. It I'm is. Not, comparatively. Life, yeah. Comparatively like, speaking, I, you're right. I only have four kids yeah. and I can't measure up. Yeah. 100%. Uh, but I guess I, I know the, the end of the story. There's, there's a little more to it. So yeah, on, on paper, I think we can all show the highlight reel of our lives and, and you've got some, some cool highlights. But what, what happened, yeah, last, last couple of years, maybe a moment you didn't feel as in control as, as it looks. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to share with you kind of just from a man's perspective, what it looks like to have dealt with anxiety and uh, uh, mental illness. Um, I'd say like most of the men in here, I don't really take a, spir uh, a spiritual and emotional inventory of my emotions. We don't have time for that, right? We have people to lead. We have things to do. We don't have time to be overly vulnerable with people. Um, though I do cry at Hallmark movies, I will admit that. But it's just, it's, there's not time for it. We're tough, uh, and we got to be a man's man. But I'll say... Um, I, what I found out was I was not shrugging off the weight of the things that were happening to me. Uh, you know, the weight of raising five kids or having a, a house full of people to feed, having a, a job and um, uh, a company with 30 something employees that we're looking after. I think we just, it's just, we can get into this go, go mode, go, go, go mode where we just keep going, we keep doing stuff. Um, but yeah, what I, what I found out in that time was I was not shrugging those things off. I was not flying through them. Uh, I, they were actually affecting me, and it was going uh, deep down into my heart. So two, three years ago, I was driving to meet friends in uh, Westerville for dinner. I was talking to my wife on the phone. Uh, things felt good, and I, my vision went immediately blurry. Like for three seconds, as I'm driving on 270, I couldn't see. I told Erica, I'm in trouble. I'm not sure what's going on. I felt like I was then going to pass out, but I told Eric, I'm like, I am not dying in the middle of 270. I'm going to get to you, and then I will peacefully die uh, when I arrive. That's, real, that's romantic. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I like that. But, um, so anyway, I got to Erica. We got there, and she ended up taking me to the ER. I was like, hey, my eye is starting to be droopy. Uh, my heart is racing. Like, I'm in a bad spot. I'm having a heart attack or a stroke, and it's not good. So yeah, whenever you go into the ER and you tell them that, like it's a, it's a rush scene. So went through that uh, bottom of the, or the end of that story was everything was fine. That night I went home, everything was fine. They couldn't find anything from all the scans, all good. Didn't make any sense, but I felt better. I was like, man, I must have been dehydrated. Too much caffeine, I don't know what it was. But then guys, I spent the next, this was three years ago, I spent the next six to nine months going through the most torturous panic attacks of my life. I would wake up every day, that following that next day, and I would have panic attacks that would last 
for hours. I was, I was having chest pains, uh, brain fog, and I could not escape these things. It was bad. So just to share some of those um, kind of elements of you, I couldn't be around the kids. Everything that they did, all the sounds that they, just a normal house a holes would look like, it was amplified by 50. I, I could not handle it. Uh, I'd be in a, a business meeting. I would be leading that business meeting, uh, and then I would start having a panic attack. So I'd tell them I had to go to the little girl's room where I would instead go into a closet, call my wife, and let her know that I love her because I'm dying today. I'm dying in a closet. This is where you can find my body. Um, it's, I have to joke about it because it was, it was a bad deal. I would say the worst thing, though, was we went. I was like, you know what would be the answer to this at Disney World? So uh, let's go to the happiest place on earth. Let's have a great time there, and uh, I will be healed. So we went there. But I would tell you what, panic attacks in the middle of the park at Disney World are not cool. The worst one, the worst thing that ever happened to me is we were on It's a Small Ride World in Disney, and I started freaking out. If you haven't been on that ride, it's these little miniature freaky character kids thing singing It's a Small World in 15 different languages for almost 20 minutes. And uh, yeah, I told Eric, I'm, if you don't mind, I'm gonna uh, excuse myself from this boat ride and drown in the 12 inches of water. Um, but yeah, it was, ba- it was just bad. Like a, like a dog, I wanted to die. I was, I, I was hiding. Um, but there's a sweetness in that too that I wanna share as well. Th- this was a moment where God was my only hope. So I feel like leading up to this, everything was good. Every, God was good. God was good in my life. He was good in my career. He was good in my family. And I felt like Job, like, yes, this is, this is awesome. And God, you're good. Thank you. I love walking and doing life with you. But it was a very testing moment for me when it was not good. I was torturous. I wanted to die. I told my wife we have a bed by, or a, uh, a, um, a gun by our, our, our nightstand. And I was like, you have to take this away. Like, there are moments in the middle of the night when I'm not sleeping, when I, I, I have those thoughts, and it's scary. So this was a time of deep, deep surrender for me. There was nothing else. There was nothing else. There was no hope otherwise. So I had to spend time uh, with the Lord. And for me, that looked like consistent time in the Word. I would read the Bible all day and night. I would have Erica read the Bible over me as I was laying at night. I would listen to the audio version while in the car. And uh, I don't go on runs a lot, but there was one time I started, I went on a run, I was listening to the Psalms, I was just letting them come in my Air, AirPods, uh, and I ran 11 miles, I've never ran 11 miles before that, I've never <laughs> ran 11 miles since then, uh, it was a Forrest Gump moment for sure, um, but I just started spending time with God to be with him, and it was, uh, man, it was amazing to be able to do that, so I'd say a lot of times we think, I need God, uh, I need him for something. I need, I, I need a word. When I'm in the word, I need to share something with somebody or I'm going to pray for somebody. This was just for me. I need you. I need you more than anything. You're all that I have. Nothing else matters. It was a moment of uh, desperation. And the last thing I'll say about this is I had a, a very cool moment where I was spending time with the Lord in prayer and I had a vision of myself and I was carrying this huge backpack. It was huge. It was weighted. And I, I saw myself walking and I was just starting to almost come to a crawl, just thinking about the burdens of my life that I don't think about, the, the leadership roles, all the things that I had going on. I felt like I was running at 7,000 RPMs, uh, but I'm just, I was just crawling. And, uh, and then I saw Jesus beside me. He was right there, 
And then I, as I saw myself, I was no longer a man, but I was a boy. And I was in my same adult clothes, and they were just, I was swimming in them. Uh, and I just heard the Lord say to me, I have this. This is not your burden to carry. And he just took that backpack off, and he put it on himself. And he just reminded me that my burden is light. I, I was looking at scripture, Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and I'm gentle at heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and the burden I give you is light. And that was just an amazing picture of uh, what, what God was doing for me and what I want him to continue to do in those moments. I appreciate your honesty. I think... Uh I, I know as we've done this series all too often, we, we, we've said, hey, if, if you want to have a conversation with someone, if you want us to connect you with a, a counselor or a therapist, um, and the majority of those conversations, that contact has, has been uh, from, from ladies that go to Movement Church. So I don't know if they're asking on behalf of their husbands. I don't know if they're um, just more aware of, of what's going on in their life. But I think, like you said, um, men don't want to have this conversation. I know uh, in the, the process of... Uh, starting Movement Church was the first time I ever had a panic attack, and I come from a family that didn't know what panic attacks were, and I come from an area of Ohio where they don't exist, and you're not allowed to talk about them. And so the first time you have them, and you're thinking like, "This is interesting," and am I, am I weak? Am I falling apart? Am I, you know, um, you kind of outlined some stuff there. What, in, in the end, what did what do you feel like you, um, what did what did you see? What, what how did how did God show you like, I'm with you? How what did He remind you of in in those moments? Uh, yeah, thank you. Um, first, I want to say that I'm not through this. I am still actively, like, we're still dealing with anxiety and obedience. I was in the hospital again on January, New Year's Day this year, three weeks ago. I thought I was having a heart attack. Uh, it is not fun. Um, but I feel like what the Lord's telling me and what I, I want you guys to hear, and especially men in this room, is that our strength is not in our willpower. And we have this idea that we can pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, and that's not biblical. We should just be in a continual mode of releasing our burdens to Jesus. I think as men also, we get into this uh, element where we define ourselves, where we find our worth and how other men think of us. What, what does my career say? What does my LinkedIn page say? What are my extracurriculars? How can I talk about what we're doing and what my family's doing? Uh, and that's a slippery slope if we're trying to get our confidence and our kudos from men. But the way to impress God, what I'm finding out, is to surrender everything to him. A lot of us men in the room are doing this Bible study right now on the book of Mark. Uh, and last week it struck me when he was talking in chapter 10, verse 15. He said to receive the kingdom uh, of God as a little child. And I was just reminded of what that looked Yeah, that image that I had of myself being a little boy. Not having to feel like a man that has to have this all together. Um, but in that study, we talked about this idea that when we, when we come to the Lord as a child, that, that means we're coming to him completely vulnerable, uh, completely dependent. We can't do things for ourselves. We're, we're weak. So I have to continually remind myself that I want to be in this position of dependence and trust. It's easy to say that when things are going good, but is it just lip service? Do I feel that way when things are going bad? Um, so yeah, it's, just, for me, it's a daily reminder in a walk that I want to surrender to God. God, I'm not strong enough. I need you. I want you to be the source of my hope. I want to trust you. 
I want to be able to come to you uh, when, I'm, when I'm not feeling well. And I think this, this three months for me right now is supposed to be a sabbatical season. And at first I was really mad at God. I am mad that like, this is not the sabbatical that I am expecting and that I deserve. Um, but it's a sabbatical that I, that I need. And I love that, that God's telling me like, you need me. We need to spend time together. I want you to depend on me. Um, so I'm trying to take it as a, you know, being, there's a sweetness in this. I'm, I don't want this intimacy with the Lord to stop. I'm yeah. grateful for it. Yeah, I think we, we view anxiety as weakness. And, you know, there are moments that anxiety obviously is us being nervous. And yet anxiety is, a, is an awareness that we're not in control and that we're not enough and that we can't do it all. And, and that is a gift because it, it causes you to look at God and say, God, I need you. God, I'm going to depend on you. You know, you, you can't lead a business and you can't raise five perfect kids. And when we think we can, that's when we're fooling ourselves. And so I think sometimes to, to flip that paradigm on its head is, is more truthful to say, God, I, I can't do any of the things. I can't, I can't stay married. I can't stay employed. I can't get through life. I can't be happy with, without you. And, and I need you. So what, uh, you'd say one other thing to, to everybody here, maybe even to the, to the fellows, you got any parting words of wisdom? Yeah, so we talked about not getting our worth um, from uh, and our accolades from men, but at the same time, I will say that we need to have good, godly community. Some of the sweetest moments, besides spending that intimate time with the Lord, uh, is just having godly guys around me. I knew when, I, when three years ago when I was going through this, I couldn't even be around anyone. As I mentioned, sound, everything was crazy. Anything would lead me into a panic attack. But at one point, 10 guys just showed up to my house. I didn't greet them. I didn't talk to them. I didn't want to interact with them. Uh, but they sit, sat in my breezeway for hours. Uh, I saw the shadows of them circling my home seven times in prayer. And guys, I'll t- there is something about the strength of men fighting for you uh, that could make me cry anytime I think about it. Even today, as I'm going through this stuff, I don't go to one doctor's appointment. I don't talk to, I go one day without uh, many of you men in this room asking me how I'm doing. How did it go? Can I pray for you? Here's what the Lord says about you. Um, and it's an amazing fight. So I think, again, a lot of times uh, we want to go it alone. We want to be lone wolves. Um, but yeah, just have good, godly community around you that can speak God's words and wisdom in your life. That's it. Well, I, man, I appreciate you sharing that. I know um, many of you may want to follow up with Don, make him buy you a cup of coffee or find him in the back here. I know he'd love to share more of what God's doing in his life and his heart and share his story. So um, can, we, can we thank Don for, for just being transparent today? Appreciate it. I think uh, I think all too often as we as we wrap up here, we think of anxiety as um, this terrible, crushing thing and this this death sentence and something we can't work through or get past. And the reality is that um, anxiety can can be a gift and can awaken us to our need uh, for God and our need for His presence in our life and our own inadequacy if we allow it to be a gift. Um, a big idea, as I, as I try to wrap this up, I, I wanted to, to say this, that not all things are good, uh, but God can bring good out of them. I'm sure that there are people in this room that are going through a season that are thinking, like, this isn't good, and I'm not going to look at you and say um, that, that the trial you're facing is good, but I think if we're going to trust our Father and trust His character and trust that he can make terrible things into good things, that he can weave a story and weave redemption into our story, we have to know that he can make good things. And so when we're facing a trial, when we're facing anxiety, and we're trusted to not, not know what's going on and we're, we're tempted to not fear, we have to look to him and lean into our relationship with him and believe 
that he is the, the maker and the creator of good things, believe that we can trust him and that our lives are better and believe that we'll be made whole in a relationship with him. I hope that's uh, something that we're able to do as a church and I hope that you were ministered to today as we hear that. Let me pray and we'll continue to worship. God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for the example of Jesus in the garden, Lord, the example that he felt grief, he felt anxiety, and yet, Lord, he did not give in to fear. He did not give in to disobedience. He stayed on mission, even in the moments where there was a fog, in the moments where he didn't know what was going on. He trusted and he kept walking. God, help us to be people who are loyal, people who are faithful, people who are looking to you and trusting you. And God, we know that you make good things out of things that feel bad and things that look bad and things that don't look good. Lord, you redeem us. You restore us, you bring us health, and you bring us life. When we look to you, when we depend on you, when we admit that we're not enough, but the sacrifice of your son on the cross is. God, help us to build our lives on that truth. Help us to depend on that truth. It's in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Movement Church Podcast. Our vision is to be a movement of people finding their way back to God. We hope wherever you are, this message encouraged you to take your next step in your relationship with Jesus. For more information about Movement Church, including attending a worship experience, getting connected, or giving online, please visit movementcolumbus.com.